This time our pastor, Brother Richard. Amen. Thank you, Thank you, sir. Well, it's a blessing to be here again this morning. Glad you came to worship with us for a little while. If you have your Bibles, we'll be turning over to the book of Acts, chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses there in just a moment. While you're turning, let me uh, take this opportunity to say thank you to Brother Bud. We, uh, All of our other song leaders are kind of down and out this morning. Brother Ray's gone, and Brother Van is sick. and uh, So uh, Brother Bud stepped in. We appreciate uh, him doing that. I did fail to mention uh, last week, I believe it was, Brother Cantrell had bought, brought some pretty flowers. I don't remember if it was Sunday or during the revival, but anyway, he brought some pretty flowers, and we failed to mention that. Uh, also, uh, we're going to put a offering plate back on the back table, if I can talk Brother uh, uh, Homer in the notion of doing that, uh, for a love offering for uh, Joe Roberts. Now, Joe Roberts is a man that we know over in Cannon County, and he came by the house last week, and about... I don't know, three or four years ago, he had cancer, and he promised faithfully that when he got out of the hospital, he's going to come to church. But when he got out of the hospital, he went hunting, and evidently he's still hunting. I haven't seen him in church. And, but anyway, he came by and said the cancer had come back, and, and uh, he needed some help, and I told him that we'd give the church opportunity to uh, help if they'd like to, so we'll put an offering plate back there, and if you'd like to help this individual, why you can do so, and uh, we'll see that he gets it. All right, if you found your place in the book of Acts, chapter 4, if you'll stand with us, we'll start reading with uh, verse 31. The Bible says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things that they possessed was his own, but they, uh, they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your goodness and for your watch care over us. God, would you bless us now as we try to deliver the message that you've given unto us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that it'll touch hearts of your children, and Lord, that it'll open eyes of those that haven't yet trusted your Son. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, I meant to mention before I read the scripture, if Brother Roy and, and uh, uh, seems a little bit uh, quieter this morning, and uh, uh, Brother Roger's not saying much, that uh, their daughter and sister is here, and uh uh, her, her husband, and we're glad to have them, and she's got them under control today, so we won't have any problem with them, all right? Amen. Brother Roger agrees with that, and uh, so uh, we're glad to have them. We're glad to have all of you that are visiting. I know his brother Bobby's not saying much either, and there's a good reason for that, but uh, we'll just leave that alone. Let's get to the message, get get through with the levity, and get, get into the serious business, and but I'd like to speak this morning on where is the power of the church? Where's, where's the power that the church once had that it seems like we don't have anymore? And of course, we're not speaking of that individual invisible church that everybody that receives Christ is a member of, but we're talking about the local New Testament church, Sunny Hills being one of those. And uh, I believe that the local church is ordained of God. 
And I believe that not only is it ordained of God, but God set rules up whereby the church ought to be run. Now, I'm convinced, and you say, well, you're convinced of that because you're a Baptist. No, I'm a Baptist because I'm convinced that the pastor is the head of the church. The Bible says God gave the church pastors. And uh, I believe that it's the responsibility of the pastor to get his instruction from God. But that's his responsibility. And your responsibility is to listen to the one, to the man that God has given unto you to guide you and to lead you and to point you in the right direction. And I know this is a bold statement, but I'm going to make it anyway. I don't believe that you can follow God pleasing in his sight without following the man God has given you to lead you. And so we find this morning as we talk about the New Testament church and we get all of that out of our way and uh, understand that God speaks to that group of churches in Asia Minor over in the book of the Revelation. And uh, there in the second chapter, in the fourth verse, we find that as he speaks, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou have left thy first love. He's writing to the church at Ephesus, the best of the group. But he says, I've got some things against you. What I've got against you is you've left your first love. We'll come back to that in just a moment, but I want to talk for just a moment about what that first love is. I know there's a lot of controversy about that. But it seems very clear to me that it's witnessing. It is drawing other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to those Christians there in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then you think about the time you came to know the Lord as your Savior. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to find those that were dear to you and tell them, man, I found something exciting. I've thought many times about the fact that if you had a physical disease that you went to the doctor and he said it's terminal. You're going to die from it. And then you found a cure for that disease and you was free from the disease. And then you hear somebody else has the same thing and you'll say, well, if it's not too much trouble, I'll go over and talk to them about that. You wouldn't do that at all. You'd be anxious to get over there and share with them the news of what you had found out that would cure them physically. And we ought to be much more excited about this spiritual matter because the spirit, the soul, is going to live somewhere forever. There's only two places. One of them is hell and the other is heaven. And if we know how to escape that place that we call hell, that burning fire, surely the first thing we'd want to do is tell those that we love about how to escape that place also. You know, there's a lot of organizations that's worthy of our support 
Red Cross and Salvation Army and all those organizations that help physically. But there's not an organization, if you come to the uh, place where you're looking at eternal things, there's not an organization that can even stand in the shadow of the New Testament church. Because the New Testament church's duty is to warn those that are on the road towards the, the uh, hell, towards the place of the damned, to repent. And that word repent simply means to turn around and go in the other direction. And so we look this morning for where's the power that the church has? Or maybe where is the power that the church doesn't have? And it seems rather sad that we have to look to the churches of yesteryear in order to find that power. I remember reading about the Apostle Paul. He went into a city, and the Bible says he turned the city upside down. How did he do that? With the preaching of the Word. I remember also in the 1800s, and whether you believe it or not, I wasn't alive back then. But I've read about those days. I've read about men like Sunday and Moody and, and Tory and all of those guys. They'd have great meetings. And in those meetings, the, the spirit would be so strong that saloons would close in the town where they was preaching. They would hear people after they had had a service till midnight. They'd hear people out in the, by the side of the roads and in the fields crying for mercy from God. Why? Because they had a powerful service that affected men's hearts. And it's sad, as I said, we have to look back to those times to find those kind of meetings. I've been in this business for a lot of years. I spent a lot of years in it before I started preaching. And I can't remember but one service that came anywhere close to really being a spirit-filled, heart-changing, life-changing service. And I was in one service where the Spirit was so strong that it was hard to breathe. And I'll tell you, many have never experienced that. And you know why? Because we've compromised on the things of God. And where is the power? I'm afraid so many it's like the individuals that we read about over in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. I'll find that in just a moment. Don't think I have it marked, but I want to read it to you when I can find it. In Acts chapter 19 and the first two verses, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. We don't know anything about the power of the Holy Ghost. And I'm so afraid that our churches are full of people today that have never experienced 
the moving of the Holy Ghost of God upon their lives. Without the empowering of Him, there can be no real soul-saving, life-changing services for God. He's the agent of God. He's the third person of the Godhead. He's the one that works among men today to convict us of sin and cause us to be convicted of that which we, do, which we are doing that's contrary to the will of God. If, that's how, if that is what we need, how can we gain that power that is so desperately needed today? How do we get it? First of all, I must say that you must want that power. You must desire to have it. God will not give you anything you don't desire. You've got to want it. And then you've got to develop a healthy respect for the Word of God. If I went through this building this morning, I look out, most of you I know, some of you I know too well, and some of you I know fairly well. But if I went through this ordinance this morning and began to ask, I believe everyone and say, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe. But do we really have a healthy respect for what God says and believe that it stands behind what He says? It's so easy in our daily lives to say, and I've heard people actually put this into words, I know God said it, but, and I want you to know this morning, if God said it, there's no but after that. If God says it, that settles it. I saw in the front of a car one time, said God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. There's one part of that statement that doesn't need to be in there. God says it, and that settles it, whether I believe it or not. I'm talking about having a healthy respect for the Word of God. and How we need to re-examine ourselves with an honest heart. And say, do I really, deep down in my soul, do I really believe that God will do what He says He'll do? Do I believe that God will really judge sin the way He says He'll judge sin? We come to church in the morning and we sit out and we listen to the preacher with trained respect. Now, it's sad to say that a lot of our young people are not getting that training today. But when I went to school, we were trained. If a, if a speaker was standing up before us, we listened whether we believed it or not or whether we was interested or not. We, we were trained to listen and show respect to that individual. And a lot of us come into church and we sit out and we listen to what's being said with that trained respect. But is what the preacher's saying really sinking down into our souls and into our hearts and into our minds? How much effect, this is the way you gauge that, how much effect does what the preacher says this morning have on my life that I live next week? That's the way you gauge how much respect you have for the Word of God. The only way to have a powerful church is to have a group of Christians that love the Word of God. 
and have committed themselves to living by it. And then not only do we need to be committed to a respect, healthy respect for the Word of God, but we need to be committed to separation. The Apostle Paul said over in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. There's two sides to separation. We need to be separated from the world and separated unto God. You know, too many times I think we get to the place where we think Christianity is all negative. I can't do this and I should not do this and, and this is not for me. Now I tell you, if that's the kind of Christianity you've got, you've got a dull life. Because everything, every time that God says, here's something you can't do, he says, here's something you ought to be doing. God has created us to be individuals of action. Individuals that need to be moving and doing and accomplishing. And God expects us when we change from following Satan to following God, he expects us to do just as much for God that we've done for Satan. And most of us today, if we serve God as faithfully as we was served Satan, brother, we'd be something to look at. Amen? And so we need to be separated from the world, and then we need to be separated unto God. Paul says over in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and that's the only way you're going to be able to do this, by the help of God, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Brother, God demands of us, if we're to follow him, that we're to overcome the desires of the flesh, the desires of the body, and yield to the desires of the spirit. And if we can only come to this point, if we can come to the place where we can separate ourselves from the world by the help of God, and we can dedicate ourselves to him by his help, then it'll be easy for us to yield to the wooings of the Holy Spirit. When we come into a service like this, I wonder how many times God eases up beside us. I'll get my tongue untangled here. Eases up beside of us and nudges us and say, you ought to say, thank you, Lord. Or maybe you ought to just raise your hand in praise to him. And you'll say, God, I can't do that. Somebody laugh at me. God, somebody make fun of me. You see, when you do that, you're more concerned about what man thinks of you than you are what God thinks of you. But if we could get to the place where we would separate from the world and separate unto God, yield ourselves unto Him, it wouldn't make any difference what the world thought. And so it would not only show up in our church services, but it would show up in our daily life. You know... There, there's a statement we make sometimes that I just don't like. Sometimes we'll say, man, that individual acts like a Christian. And uh, I don't like that word act. 
simply because it conveys the thought that it's something put on and something that has to be practiced. We ought not act like a Christian. We ought to be a Christian. Everything that we do ought to be habitually like Christ would have done it. We talk about people being habitual liars or habitual drunks or whatever. That means they just do that by habit. I I want you to know God expects us to be habitual Christians. He expects us to just out of habit do what God expects us to do because we've done it so often. We've been so repetitious in living the way he'd have us to. And if we can completely yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God, he can work through us. And the power that the church once knew will return. God's the same. God is immutable. He never changes. I want to read you something in closing this morning found over in the book of Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3 and in verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord. That's something that's almost gone out of our vocabulary anymore. The fear of God. You'll say, you mean I ought to be afraid of God? You ought to have a reverent fear of God. You ought to have the fear of God that I used to have with my daddy. I could sit out and talk to my daddy for hours and we could fellowship together and, and uh, so forth, have a good time. But brother, if he told me to do something, I better do it. I better be afraid not to do it. And that's what God's talking about here. They that fear the Lord spoke often one to another and talked about the fear of the Lord. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. I tell you, that's some powerful scripture right there. And it ought to be some good instruction to us. He said he wrote a book of remembrance of those that feared him and thought upon his name. And I trust you'll examine yourself this morning. Just see how well you stack up what God expects out of us as one of his children. If you find a place in your life that's lacking, this altar is a good place this morning to start to correct it. We'll ask you to stand. Piano prayer and song leader come, if you would please. Ask Brother Bobby to stand on my right, Brother Chris in the center, and Brother Van over on the left. These men are here to help you this morning if you have a...